Wow, that is uh, that is good. Mary just mentioned to me uh, as we were sitting there back in 1973 when we discovered that uh, that uh, she was expecting Paul. Um, we took her to the hospital, and the first thing the doctor said to her was, "Well, what do you want to do with it?" Meaning, do you want an abortion? Well, obviously, as Christians, we certainly didn't want that. But think about that for a second. God had a purpose. He was an unexpected child, and at first, uh, one that uh, we didn't really want at that time. But God had a purpose. And now you see the work that God has done. Uh, just one person. That's why this abortion thing is such a horrible sin. Well, enough of that. Let's go to John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7. Just a brief message here this morning. <clears throat> In verse 8, Jesus said to his brothers, You go up to the feast. I am not going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? There was much muttering about him. Among the people. While some said he is a good man. Others said no he is misleading. He is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews. No one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast. Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying. How is it that this man has learning? When he has never studied. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine. But his who sent me. If anyone's will. Is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God. Or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority. Seeks glory. Seeks his own glory. But one who seeks the glory of him who sent him. Is true. And in him. There is no falsehood. Now, you recall the last time we we looked into this passage that Jesus' brothers were trying to persuade him to go to the feast at Jerusalem, the Feast of Booths, and do miracles and signs in order to win back those who had defected in chapter 6. In their minds, this was... An inconsistency of Messiah, of Messiahship. He needed to do signs and wonders so that he could win people for a following. But Jesus was not interested in chasing people who didn't believe in him. 
You know, I think this has been a a problem in the church for, for many years. Is that pastors and church leaders are so busy chasing those who have no care whatsoever about Christ or about His church or about anything with regard to the Word of God. They're so busy chasing those kind of people that they neglect the ones who do love Him. They neglect the sheep. We're not in the business of chasing goats that don't care. We're in the business of feeding sheep so that they're strong. So he let them go because he knew, he let these people go because he knew they were not gifts from the Heavenly Father. He knew that. The persuasiveness of his brothers in asking him to go to the feast did not uh, prevail. And Jesus said, you go to the feast yourself, which they did. But Jesus remained in Galilee a little while longer before going to the feast. And by this time, it was getting toward the middle, as we have read, the roads to Jerusalem would have been uh, less traveled, possibly deserted, because the people had already made their way to Jerusalem. They had set up their booths, and that's where they were. For seven days, they would live in these makeshift booths for the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Verse 14 tells us that he went about halfway through the feast to Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders were in anticipation of him being there at the feast and were asking if he was there, if anyone had seen him. They were looking for him. They are still wanting to kill him because of his work of healing the man on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath laws in chapter 5. Their search was a constant one. Spawned by and empowered by Satan. Jesus had become quite a topic of conversation. His his renown had gone throughout all of Israel. And the people were talking about him. And it was a mixed attitude. We find in verse 12 that there was much muttering about him. When it says there... Many were saying, there was much muttering, and many were saying he's good, and some say, no, he's a deceiver, leading people astray. The word muttering in that verse is the same word that we find in chapter 6, in verse 40, same word family, in verse 41, 43, and 61, where the Jews murmured and muttered about him. It's, it means to speak under the breath. About someone to to whisper something inaudible, or to whisper to someone else something that's inaudible. It has to do with with gossip and backbiting, muttering and grumbling, complaining and backbiting and gossiping has no place in the Christian life. When I looked at this, it it struck me. 43 years in ministry, the thing that I've seen that hurts people the worst 
is grumbling, complaining, and backbiting and gossiping about people. That's the thing that has hurt people the most. Looking back over 43 years, has no place in the Christian life. It is a clear sign of a heart that is out of fellowship with God, or at worst, does not know Christ at all. The mixed reviews about Jesus came from fallen human opinion. While some said he's a good man, others said no, he's leading the people astray. Some said he's good, others said no, he's leading people astray. Neither of these statements are accurate. Jesus was not simply a good man among other men. That is a human opinion or viewpoint of who he was. Good men don't claim to be God. If they did, they would cease to be good. Jesus was more, much more than a good man. He was God in the flesh who came down from heaven to earth. John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the father taught me. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to stone him. Chapter 10, verse 33, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what his claim was. He was far more than a good man. Neither was he one who led the people astray. A very inaccurate statement. The word astray means to deceive someone into believing an untruth. To convince them to believe something that is a lie. According to the Talmud, the punishment for deceiving the people was to be stoned to death. Deceivers do not point people to the truth, and they certainly don't do miracles and deeds that point people to the Father. Deceivers will do just the opposite. Deceivers will point people to themselves. So that they take all the glory for themselves. Jesus did not do that. He did just the opposite. He was worthy of the glory. He was worthy of the notoriety. But he always pointed them to the Father. And he systematically did this so that the Father would be glorified. John chapter 10 verse 25. He said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do, I do in my Father's name. They bear witness about me. They come from the Father. Verse 37, I am not doing the works. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. 
Verse chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? It was always the Father that he pointed people to. The view that he was a deceiver was a view that succeeded all the way to the end. The people believed the lies that were told to them from the Jewish leaders and those lies sent Jesus to the cross. Turn to Luke chapter 23 with me very quickly. Look at verse 1. Luke 23 verse 1. Then the whole company of them, this is the Jews, they've gathered together at this trial to condemn Jesus based upon the lies that had been told about him, that he was a deceiver leading people away, leading the nation astray. Then the whole company rose up and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Skip down to verse 5. But they were urgently saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. Of course, he taught. But he taught what he got from the Father and he gave the Father the credit for it. Justin Martyr, the second century Christian apologist, wrote that the Jews dared to call him a magician and a deceiver of the people. No matter what their opinion of him was, they didn't share it openly because they were afraid of what the Jews, the leaders, the Jewish leaders would do. They, they were fearful that they might be cut off from the synagogue. This was the biggest fear. If they aligned themselves with Jesus, the biggest fear they had was that they would be, they would be cast off or cut off from the temple or from the synagogue. Which in essence would mean that they would be separated from Jewish life as they knew it. Now, how can we relate to that? Imagine yourself waking up one morning and you go out to do the things you need to do. And you go to a store where you have frequented and where people knew you and nobody would talk to you. People turned their backs on you. People would not sell you anything. People would not help you with anything. You were completely cast out and cut off. That's what it would be like. You would be banished, essentially banished from society that you knew. This was the greatest fear that the Jews had. To be cut off from the synagogue, which was the center of Jewish life. Because if you were cut off from the synagogue, you were cut off from everything else. Turn with me to John chapter 9. Very quickly, just a few pages over. John 9, 
This is I'm not going to expound on it. Just want to read it, but I want you to follow. Verse eighteen: The Jews did not believe Jesus had healed a man who was born blind, and the man, man went to show himself at the at the temple. But the Jews did not believe that he had that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, he asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. Now, why'd they say that? He's old enough to answer for himself. They said this because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Which would mean that your life was essentially over as far as society was concerned. Therefore his parents said. Ask him. He's, he can answer for himself. Jesus warned his disciples. That these things would happen to them. John chapter 16 verse 2. He says. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed they, the hour is coming. When whoever kills you. Will think they are doing a service to God. What does that sound like? Sound like Islam, doesn't it? There's always a cost for following and loving Jesus. Those who hate Him will hate you. And those who love Him will love you. Now it is the middle of the week and uh, of the feast and Jesus went into the temple and He began to teach. There was the opportunity there at that moment for the Jews to take him and condemn him to death. Why didn't they do it? Well, it was because the people were divided about who Jesus was and what what he was about. Some thought he was good. Others thought he wasn't. There's a division of the people. And the Jews, the leaders of the, of Israel, the Jewish leaders were always afraid of the people's opinion. That's a real problem in politics, isn't it? These people, even though many of them held Jesus in great regard, even though they didn't believe him as Messiah, were sympathetic toward him. It's the same today. You ask people, who is Jesus Christ? They'll tell you, oh, he was a great teacher. Even even the Muslims say Jesus was a great man and a great teacher. A great prophet. But he wasn't God, you see. They say they don't believe he was God. And so, on top of that, it wasn't his time. We see in verse 30... So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Because it wasn't his hour. It had not come. And when we get to verses 
15 through 18, we find that Jesus deals with the subject of authority in these verses. It's a question here of authority. The the declarations that Jesus made about himself throughout scriptures are startling at the very least. MacArthur, in his commentary on John, lists 23 assertions made by Jesus about himself that shocked people when they heard them. He claimed to have come down from heaven. He claimed to have been sent into the world by the Father to be the Savior of the world, the determiner of people's destinies. He claimed to be the source of eternal life and the only way to God. He claimed to have the right to be honored on equal basis with the Father. He claimed to be one with the Father and to have the power to raise the dead, even to raise himself from the dead. He claimed to be the one whom the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. He claimed to be the supreme judge who will one day return in glory. He claimed to be without sin, to have all authority in heaven and on earth, to have authority to forgive sins and authority over the Sabbath and authority to answer prayers and to authorize prayers in his name. He claimed to be greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, Solomon, Jacob, or Abraham. He claimed to be the bread of life as the only source of spiritual sustenance. He claimed to be the light of the world and the resurrection of life as the Messiah, the Son of God, who would be one day seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. All these things he claimed to be. What possible explanations could possibly one possibly give to answer such claims as these? What kind of person would make such outlandish remarks about himself? C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, writes, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You cannot spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet. And call him Lord and God. It's one or the other. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. Never has there been a person in any of history that has been as polarizing as Jesus Christ. And he still is today. Either people love his words and desire to draw closer to him, or they hated what he had to say and wanted to stop him or destroy him. Jesus spoke heavenly words, but people with no ears to hear and no eyes to see with could not comprehend the spiritual aspects of his teaching. It prompted Jesus to make 
statements like, You do not have the Father's word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. Chapter 5, verse 43 of that same chapter, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Chapter 6, verse 36, I said that you have come, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And on the night of his trial, The Jews asked him plainly, are you the Christ? Tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe me. He had already told them. They did not believe him. One last point. I'll wrap this up. As he was teaching, which was unexpected... They were in awe of his words and they knew he had not had any formal education. That is, rabbinic training. He had not gone to the rabbi's schools of learning. It was at that point that the Jewish leaders joined the audience of listeners and the Jewish rabbis would teach. They would often sit down. Their disciples would be in front of them and they would teach. But they always They always quoted other people. They always quoted back to some rabbi before them as their source of legitimacy in their teaching. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus referred to the teaching of the Father. The teaching that came from heaven as His authority. If Jesus had spoken in His own authority... Stressing that he had been self-taught, they would have lost, he would have lost credibility before them. For him, his authority was the words of the Father, as we see in verse 16. Think of the irony of these Jews who were face to face with the divine word, the one who gave the scriptures, the one who created the universe, the one in whom all wisdom resides, and they treat him as an unlearned and untaught person. Unwittingly, they give him praise in acknowledging his spiritual insight. How does he know so much, seeing as he has not been taught? This became the touchstone for the disciples' ministry as well. One last verse, and I'll close this up. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Peter and John are in the temple. They've been teaching. The temple leaders heard, heard it. It says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Well, they had been with the teacher of teachers. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who had been healed and standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Again, they were afraid of the people. When a person seeks to advance himself... And build his own following, he uses words of manipulation and deception. He has to. 
Jesus did not seek a following, but only sought to convey the truth that the Father had given him and then let the Father bring in those who would follow. Great example for us today. Great example. We're not building some kind of kingdom here for ourselves. We're we're just here to give the truth. To deliver it one passage at a time. This is the reason he made the statement in verse 18. When he said the one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there's no falsehood. He never told them anything that wasn't right. He never tried to deceive them. He always told them the truth. You see it over and over in this gospel. Truly, truly I say to you. He fulfilled the will of the Father who sent him. And that will was to suffer and give his life an atonement for the sins of his people, both Jews and Gentiles. That's you and that's me. No Jews here that I know of. But we've been redeemed by the blood of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Thank God for His goodness. I trust that these these words will help you as we have the privilege of looking at and looking into the life of our Lord as He dwelt on the earth. Let me make an announcement or two and then we'll we'll have uh, Scott come and pray and close the service.